Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. Take your Bible. If you've got your Bible, we've got a few minutes left. We're going to spend uh, some time right now in the book of John. Uh, we've been going through the book of John, and we've been going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through our series called Collision. And uh, I wanted to just keep moving through it today, even though it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, I know uh, uh, we, we always spend a lot of time on that, but I think this is really important that we keep going on, because I think this subject today is just really really important. So our look in the book of John, if you remember, is we're calling the series Collision because it's about God literally colliding with mankind. And so every chapter we've kind of taken a, a snapshot or a picture of what it looks like when God collides with something of humanity. And we get a really good picture. If you look at the whole Bible, you know, the whole book of John, I should say, you get a really good snapshot. This is what God looks like. So Today we're in chapter 12, and we're going to do all chapter 12 today. We're going to move through it very fast. But uh, let's just, let me just give us a little background. I want us to think. Those of you that have been here, your faithful listeners, your faithful attenders, you know what we've been talking about. If, if this is maybe your first time, uh, you haven't been here for a while, I encourage you to go online to our website, listen to the podcast, watch the live stream, and catch up. And I want you to take notes and catch up to John chapter 12 because it, it's just really uh, good. There's a lot of practical stuff here. But the first 12 chapters of John, John chapter 1 through John chapter 12, it's interesting. It takes three years. You know, we read it. You could read John 1 through 12 in a matter of minutes, right? 20 minutes, I don't know, 15 minutes. But it takes three years for all that to happen. It, it's, a, it's a quick snapshot of three years. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's not all that he does, but it's what, what, what John, who was led by the Holy Spirit, what he, he felt like he should cover. But then... Is there's three years, think about that, 1 through 12, three years of public ministry. Here's what we've seen. Here's what we've seen. We've seen that, that in every single chapter, Jesus proves who he is. He makes a proof of who he is. I'm God, uh, I'm not like God, but I am the Messiah. And he makes a proof of who he is. And then what we've actually seen, if you kind of looked at it, you actually see a response of what comes from the people. And, and if we kind of think about the big picture the big picture when we read John chapter 1 through 12, yeah, there's a lot of places that it says, you know, many believed, many believed. But as a nation, as, as Israel, the Jewish people, big picture, most didn't, all right? Most people rejected him. Most people still didn't, didn't want anything to do with him. The religious group of that time wanted nothing to do with him. But over and over again, he keeps proving, I'm the Messiah, I'm God. And we see a response. We see a proof. We see a response. Let's, let's take a look, okay, real quick, let's just for fun, let's take a look at some of these things. Think about this. If, if we go back to the beginning of the book of John, uh, the first proof we see is that Jesus kind of starts off his ministry by being at a wedding and turning water into wine. He's got compassion for the people at the wedding. So he takes, he takes water and he turns it into wine. What's the response of the people? There is no response of the people. Don't you think there'd be people saying, wow, or Where'd that come from? <laughs> he just did his first miracle in his public ministry. There is no response. Like, ah, huh, this is amazing. Who did this? Who is this guy? There isn't that. 
And then, and then we go on to the next chapter, and we see uh, he heals the nobleman's, or the, 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 uh, like a political uh, important person's son. Now, the nobleman has to travel 15 miles to see Jesus. He gets there, and Jesus says, just turn around, go home. Uh, your son is taken care of. And think about this. He heals the nobleman's son, and what's the response? There is no response. Nothing. Don't, don't you think people would say, thank you? I mean, the guy traveled 15 miles to get there. He's on his way home. He finds out his son's healed. Don't you think he would have turned back around and there would have been a big group or he would have brought the son and said, hey, everybody, look. Thank you. This guy must be the Messiah. He just you know, healed my son. He was going to die. We don't see that. How about the next, next big miracle he does? He, he feeds 5,000 people. Now, the Bible qualifies the people in that time as the men that were there. We took an informal poll at this church <laughs> on that Sunday morning. We came up with probably between 20 and 30,000 people. If, if you're just counting 5,000 men, well, how many women and children were there too? Well, the, the t- feeding of the, the 20,000 people, that's what he did. What's the response the next day? The response the next day is they follow him into another town, and what are they saying? Can we get breakfast now? <laughs> you just fed Imagine going into a town of 20,000. Imagine going into Sussex or Merton and feeding the entire town a dinner. <laughs> and all they say is, uh, can we get breakfast tomorrow? You know, I'd like scrambled eggs, uh, bacon on the side. Well, they probably didn't do bacon. But <laughs> no, that's, and that's just amazing. How about, how about the next one he does? He goes and he sees a lame man and, and he heals this man who's, who's been lame and it's on a Sabbath. And what's the response? The response isn't, hey, you healed a man who's been sitting by this poolside for years. He can't walk. Praise God. What's the response? You know what? You shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. You're in trouble. We're taking you out. We're going to put you in jail. That's what the response is. Unbelievable. And then he goes and he heals the blind man. And you'd think that he'd heal the blind man. Wow, he hasn't seen since birth. And, And what's the response? The response is, I wonder why that guy was blind. Is he a sinner? What did he say? What sin did he do to get blind? I just healed a blind man and given his sight back to him. What's the response? Huh, wonder what kind of a sinner he is. <laughs> Isn't that just crazy? So, so we've seen this over and over again. He's been doing this. And then, and then we get to the story we looked at last week. There's a guy, a good friend of Jesus, named Lazarus. He's been dead for three days. His body stinks. He raises a person from the dead, what's the response? Shouldn't it have been, wow, you just raised someone from the dead. You must be the Messiah. Let's all go worship him. There is no response. There's nothing. The only response we see is, well, he probably stinks. <laughs> That's nice, but he's at least alive. Can we give some credit for that? I mean, it's not every day that someone raises someone from the dead. And, and instead of saying, you are truly God, we hear, well, he, he probably stinks. So, so anyways, over and over again, the last three years, he's been, he's been showing. Uh, it's all been about salvation. Have we noticed that? The gospel's been given. The gospel's been given. The gospel's been given. The gospel's been given. Three years. That's all Jesus focused on. Now, from, from, from the end of this chapter, John chapter 12, to the rest of the book, okay, the rest of the book is 10 days. So we've had three years for the first 12 chapters, and now we're going to spend 10 days in the next nine chapters. Okay, now, the last three years, gospel, 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 gospel. 
These next 10 days, you know what he's doing? He's talking to his disciples, and it's a very intimate conversation. We're going to see that the next 10 days. And, and he's telling them, before I leave, I just want to tell you this. It kind of reminds me of like parents. You know how it is when you go on a trip and you're going to leave your kids, whether they're young and you're going to go to Walmart for an hour or, you know, we're going to go to grandma's and you're going to stay here or whatever with a babysitter. What do you do? You're packing, you're getting stuff ready, you're putting it in the car, you're loading. Oh, and don't forget to let the dog out. And you're putting stuff away. Oh, and, and don't forget, you know, cut the grass next Monday, okay? And you're putting stuff away. And oh, make sure, you, you know, you close the door and turn the lights off at nighttime, right? We do that. We kind of that last minute rush of instruction. That's what Jesus is going to do with his disciples for the rest of the book, really. We're going to see the whole story, what unfolds, but he's giving them discipleship instructions. So we've had a lot of gospel given. And now we're going to see discipleship. All right, let's move quickly. John chapter 12, verse 1. We'll just skip, skip through this real fast because I want you to get the picture. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which uh, had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So we, now we know where he's at. Okay, go down to verse 12. And the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. So, so this, this part of the story is what we, would be called the triumphal entry. He's literally going to go into Jerusalem, into the gates of Jerusalem. Uh, we would call it Palm Sunday. We celebrate it the week before Easter. You know, we have all the kids and, and we sing with palm branches. And it's kind of a thing. But the people's expectation, the people's expectation is, huh, Maybe he is the Messiah, all right? So they're, they're thinking, though, Messiah, they're thinking maybe he's a great ruler. Maybe this guy is finally going to set the economy right, finally get us out from Roman rule. Maybe he's going to bring this army. I mean, he did feed 20,000 people. Maybe he can heal some people. Maybe he can raise the dead soldiers. Ah, this could be a good thing. So this is kind of a really big deal, but it's called, like we said, the triumphal entry. It's called Palm Sunday. I want to pause on this story for a few minutes because I think it's so important. I think it's important because this is the day, now listen carefully, that he presents himself to Israel literally as the Messiah. The first time he does this, it's the only time he does this, it, it's another proof. I healed, I, I, I raised people from the dead, I fed 20,000 people, I did all these things. Now I'm literally going to come into Jerusalem and I'm going to tell you, you're going to see it, that I am the Messiah. If we wanted to, we would spend, I don't know, four or five weeks talking about the story because there's so much prophecy being fulfilled. I tell you what, if you are interested in a really detailed look at the prophecy, I spoke on this subject uh, a while back. It's on our website. You can go, you can look at these verses and I really cover a lot of the prophecy that was fulfilled in this story. But I want to just briefly cover some of it. The main thing I want to do is why this Sunday. You know, throughout the entire ministry the last three years, what, what's one thing Jesus kept saying to people? Think about the first time. He, he did his first miracle. His mother's with him. He turns water to wine. He's at a wedding. And what's he say? It's not my time. And over again, don't tell anybody. It's not my time. It's not my time. It's not my time. Now, he's literally going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem, and guess what he's saying? Now's my time, all right? Now we're going to do this. <laughs> but for, for all this time, he's been saying, no, it's not my time. But now he's saying, yep, now it is my time. And it's so important because, because this day, if we look at this in Scripture, it's, it's been in the making for about 500 
years. Been prophesied. And on this day, Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem. It's going to be, the Messiah is going to be there. Now, I tell you what, let's spend a few minutes on this, this one prophecy. If you like prophecy, take notes. I think this is kind of a cool thing. Uh, 600 years, 600 years before Jesus was there, Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So the Babylonians, think of Babylon. The Babylonians, or the people from Babylon, took the Jewish people into captivity. God had said, listen, it's gonna, it's, you're going to be there for 70 years. The 70 years are up. There's a young man there. His name is Daniel. He wrote a, one of the books in the Bible. It's called Daniel. You can read it. <laughs> and, and he says, he prays to God. He says, God, so what's next? And an angel shows up and tells Daniel, well, it's not just what's next, but I'm going I'm to give you a bigger picture than you even know. Daniel's asking, what's next for our people, the Jewish people? And the angel says, I gotta, actually, there's going to be a bigger plan. It's not just about you. It's about the whole world. Whoa. This is one of the most amazing prophecies that are in the Bible. Look in your Bible. If you want to, book of Daniel, all the way in the Old Testament. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Just listen as I read it. The pastor is a little confusing. I'll explain it. So just listen. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So, so God here is going to show Daniel this big picture. I'm, I'm going to take care of all of humanity, not just the Jewish people. And, and then he, 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 he says this, which you kind of see it there at the beginning. He says 70 weeks. Now let me pause on that just for a moment. Those of you that like to know about biblical prophecy. Let me just think about this. Because um, I want you to understand it. If I said, okay, let's just think. If I said I had, I got 12 donuts, okay, and I take 12 donuts and I put them in a box, right, and I have this box, so, so Mike, you're sitting over here, so Mike, I have a box with 12 donuts, you would say, I have how many donuts, Mike? I have a... Can we get an usher to escort him out of here, please? <laughs> I set you up, Mike. Was, I couldn't have made it any easier for you. Thank you, Abby, for being the woman there, and you knew exactly where I was going with that. She, she, she already knows what I'm going to talk about. She knows the rest of the message. Okay, 12 donuts is what, what else is 12, 12 called? It's called a... All right, thank you. Everyone but Mike understood that. Mike. In, 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 in Hebrew, seven... Seven years was called a week. It was actually, the, the word was a shabu. And, and so we say 12 is a dozen. They'd say, they'd say yeah, seven, seven years is a week, okay? Don't get too confused by it. It's just how they looked at it, right? We say a dozen, 12, it doesn't matter to us, okay? So the angel, Gabriel, says, says well, here's God's time frame. The time frame is this, that, that the Jews and his holy city, Jerusalem, it involves 70 Seven-year periods. So 70 seven-year periods. So if we do the math, 70 times 7 is 490. So it says 490 years, God's plan of redemption is going to happen. And, and so uh, what, what this prophecy that he talks about next, you know, he's, he's literally, he's literally going to tell them when to start the clock. And when you start this clock, at the end of that timer, when that timer goes off, the Messiah is here. Okay, wow, it's pretty amazing. So put your seatbelts on. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse, verse 25. Keeps going. Know therefore, 
and understand, you can know this, you understand this, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So he's, he's giving them some math. The street shall be built again and the wall and even troublous times. Go down to verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Uh, the, before I get into this, this kind of reminds me. Remember when you were in school and they had math problems, and they were like word problems? Do you remember those? I always hated those. It'd be like, you know, Joe is two years older than Susie, and she's half the age of her mom. How old is the dad? Do you remember those things? And you'd be like, who wrote this? I mean, what insane, like, what does it matter? Who cares how old the dad is? But it's kind of like that. He's saying, listen, the command to restore, to rebuild Jerusalem, uh, uh, what he's talking about there is there was a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, was a believer, and this is in the Old Testament. And the king, King Artaxerxes at that time, literally tells Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you know, Jerusalem's wiped out, the walls are down. Nehemiah, I'm going to give you permission to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, from that date, the timer starts on what's being prophesied here in the book of Daniel. So, well, Pastor, do we know the date that King Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to rebuild the wall? Yeah, we actually do. It was March 14th, 445 B.C. It's recorded, actually, even in secular history that the king told this guy to go rebuild the city. Go! So that's, that's the beginning of the stopwatch. Go! Now, think about that. So if we did the math, and we started to think about that, so the clock's got to tick for seven weeks and 62 weeks, or 483 years, because he explained that out. So if we say, well, we take 483 years, the Jews used a lunar calendar. We don't use a lunar calendar. There's 360 days in a lunar calendar. So if we say, well, 483 years times 360 days, we come out with 173,000. 880 days. So now think about that. You're there and you say, ha, huh, from the day that the king says go rebuild Jerusalem, I'm going to literally count down 173,880 days. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important because that's, that's the time that the Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem. Now, anybody that was at, alive at that time that had studied the scriptures would have known, this is no secret, it's not like Dan Rehoff figured this out, this is just common prophecy and understanding of it. Anyone that was alive at this time in Christ should have been counting down. Pause. Think of the wise men going to see baby Jesus when he was born. How did they know the Messiah was going to be born? They knew the writings of Daniel and they started to do the math. 173,880 days. Well, if he's going to die when he's 30... We just backed that up 30 years. There ought to be a baby being born around now. And then a star appears and they say, oh, that's the star that was predicted. They put the two and two together. That's how they know the Messiah is born. Right? They didn't know everything about him. They didn't know his name. They but they know 173,880 days. So, so if you kind of click all that out and you kind of time it all out, if you count it out the best we can count it out, with the, with the lunar calendar and leap years and all that kind of stuff, and the calendar's changed, you know, A.D. to B.C., you go through all that. The date that the best scholars come up with is April 6, 32 A.D. That's, that should be the date. 
So we, we get, I mean, I could go with that. I could believe that as good as anybody else can believe it. But the bottom line is, is that's the day. They knew the Messiah should be coming into Israel, should be coming in Jerusalem, should be presenting himself, and they're expecting again. Remember, they're expecting like the great ruler, you know? They're expecting whatever. I don't even want to say it. They're expecting the Donald Trump, you know? <laughs> you know, Ronald Reagan's coming back or something like that. It's going to be so great. But they don't really realize, yeah, he's the Messiah that's, that's coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey, but he's going to die. Kings and rulers don't die. See how this doesn't make sense? It's like, we want Ronald Reagan back in the White House. Yeah, and he shows up, great, and he's going to die this week. No, that's not what we wanted. We wanted a political ruler. Doesn't make sense to me. And, and we know the people there, they start quoting Psalms 118, and Jesus accepts it. Jesus doesn't deny it. So, Pastor, what's Psalms 118? Psalms 118 is actually interesting. It's a messianic psalm. The people were supposed to sing it when the Messiah arrived. Go look at Psalms 118, verse 24. We'll spend a couple minutes here. We sing a song. We literally sing this song today, and we talk about it in our current context. This is the day which the Lord has made, right? You know the song, this is the day, this is the day. That's great that we sing it. That's great that we sing it about today. It's not about today. It's about the day the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem. That's what the, the prophecy is. And the people would sing the song, and Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. It's like, yep, you're doing it right. I am that guy. I'm the Messiah. He doesn't deny it. And so this is a really big thing, and they lay it on palm branches, and they think it's wonderful. And the Messiah is coming, and the people understood God's timing. You know, the, let me just, I say all that to say this. This prophecy is always an encouragement to me because it, it proves to me what? God hasn't lost track of timing. Amen, church? Has God forgotten about us? Sometimes you feel like it. When you read the news, sometimes you wonder about it. But, but God's not unaware what time it is. God's totally in control of it. He understands. You know, in, in all my years in the ministry, so we started this church 14 and a half years ago, but I've been in a lo, uh, assistant pastor about 33, 34 years, I think it is. Um, and I've been in the ministry a long time. I've had a front row seat, a front row seat to an awful lot of counseling, to an awful lot of people's lives. Uh, the, the, the people that I found that make the worst decisions, listen to me carefully on this, the people that I found that make the worst decisions or the bad decisions in life usually, usually come from a lack of patience. I've got my timing. I know you got yours. I don't care about yours. I care about mine. And it's a lack of patience, it's a lack of waiting in God. I'm going to do what I'm going to do when I'm going to do it. You know, we either, listen, we either, we either live our life and understand that God's totally in control, God wants to do good in our life and we can trust Him, or, or, listen, we live our life and we feel that God's holding out on us and God's forgotten about us. So, so you either live your life every day, mom and dad raising your kids, young people, uh, 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 going to college, getting a job, getting a boyfriend, whatever it is, getting a girlfriend, living life. You either live it like, you know what, God's in control, he really is in control, and God really wants the best for me, I can trust him. Or we live our life in the opposite of that, we say, you know what, God forgot about me, and you're holding out something, you're I'm not getting all the fun I should be having or all the enjoyment or all the pleasures of life you're holding back on me. God's keeping something from me. You are either in one of those two categories. And the worst decisions I've seen people make is when they're impatient with God's timing. This passage reminds me 
that 178,880 days, God knows exactly what his timing is. God's, God's not like, oops, when am I supposed to go to Jerusalem? You know, he knows exactly what it is. And, and we have to understand that, that we'll never experience the blessings of God by violating the principles of God. You, you rush on God, you get ahead of God, you get behind God, you will never be blessed. Church, it's impossible. Well, I'm going to do it my way and my timing. You can do that, but you're never going to be satisfied. It's a miserable life. It just, it'll never work. You know, listen, if, if, you, if you, you're doing something in your life and you seek a spiritual leader in your life for advice, you, you seek godly counsel from a good Christian friend, a good Christian friend who you'd consider spiritual. Listen, the, the, Bible, the Bible over and over again is about submission. Submission, 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 submission. Submission. We get advice from someone, you ought to take it as if it's from God. And listen, do things in his timing. You, you'll just never be blessed. Even How about this? And, and listen to me on this. Even if it's the wrong advice, God overrules that and he still blesses you for submitting and doing it the right way. It's like, it's like imagine this. Imagine if, if, I don't know, I was going to go buy a car, I don't know, a used car, and I go talk to some people that I believe are spiritual leaders in my life. Hey, I'm looking at buying this whatever car, this Honda, you know, I'm going to go buy this Honda, and, and this person says, yeah, it's great, and I talk to this other spiritual person, they say, yeah, it's great, and talk to this other person, yeah, it's great, I great, I go buy the car, God, I sought your advice, I did the best I could, and you go, and you get in the car, and you drive it five miles down the road, the engine blows up, the transmission, transmission falls out, and all the wheels come off, well, that's nice, I just bought a total lemon, raise your hand if you ever bought a total lemon, both of my hands are up, <laughs> listen, God will bless you for doing it the right way more than blessing you for buying a car that had a good warranty on it. God will overrule that. Yeah, but my car broke and, and the transmission fell off and the tires fell off and it's an absolute piece of junk. Yeah, but you did it the right way. You sought my advice. You didn't get in front of me. You didn't get behind me. You followed my lead. I will bless you for that. Maybe not in your timing right now, but in my timing... I will take care of you, I'll bless you, I'll make sure you're doing it the right way. I remember back when uh, I was dating in college, uh, we have a lot of young people in our church, and that's good, that's a very healthy thing to have in a church. Um, and I've told this story before, this is, this is nothing new. Uh, I was dating a girl for uh, a couple of years, and I was at that point in my life when I was ready to put a ring on her finger, and no, I'm not talking about Amy, and, uh, and it was kind of one of those things, and we were in Bible, I was in Bible college, I guess I've got to preface that, the girl I was dating was in Bible college, and it was just, okay, two years, everything was good, she was a good girl, I was a kind of good guy, not too good, but she was good, there was nothing bad about her, there was nothing bad about me, and one night, I remember it was a Wednesday night after church, we'd go to Wednesday night prayer uh, my pastor called me into his office. I just want to talk to you. I was like, oh, okay, what do you want to talk about? He goes, you know, I, I know you're dating so-and-so. Seems like she's a nice girl. Yeah, she's nice. Yeah, and he just kind of, I remember him just kind of hemming and hawing. He's like, I just don't think she's the girl for you. <laughs> Excuse me, we've been dating two and a half years. Yeah, and you never talked to me about it in two and a half years, so I'm telling you, <laughs> I just don't think she's the one. I think you can do better. Well, what's wrong with her? I don't know, I'm just telling you as your pastor. Whoa! Well, can you give me a list? I'm ready. Give me the list. What's wrong with her? Nothing. But I'm just telling you as a pastor, I think you can do better. I just don't think she's the one for you. Okay, so that was a Wednesday night, probably around 10.30. We were done having our discussion. I kind of walked out of there. 
And, and I'm telling you this, church, I'm not telling you this to pat myself on the back. I'm not bragging. That's not, the point that I'm trying to make is the point of what I'm trying to make. And so, as a, as a, as a literally, as kind of a dumb 20-year-old kid who thought he knew everything, I just said, well, I don't know. My pastor just gave me advice on this. I'm, I'm just going to, I don't know why, I don't, I don't got all the where's and what for's, but I'll just follow his advice and I'll just, I'll just see what God has to do. So that morning, uh, first class of the, of the school day, I broke up with his girlfriend. And I remember her asking me, well, why are you breaking up? What did I do wrong? Nothing. It's just I sought some counsel on a relationship. The spiritual leader in my life, spiritual guidance in my life said, just doesn't think we're for each other. And she was really good. She was really good. She said, well, I can go with that. I'll, I'll submit to our pastor too. Really? Well, that was easy. <laughs> I was up all night wondering how this was going to go or if I'm going to get punched in the face. And no, it went really well. But, but just think for a moment. She's not a bad person. I wasn't a bad person. But church, looking back now, you know, 30-something years later, church, had I married that girl, I, I would not be here. As I remember very clearly in our dating relationship, she made it very clear what her goals were in life. And I knew in the back of my mind, somehow they were different than maybe God's goals for my life. I didn't know I was going to be here. I never, never planned on being a pastor. And when I went to Bible college, there's all these young freshman guys, you know, signing up at the registration table, getting into Bible college. You know, they'd say, you know, if I don't preach, I'm going to die. You know, I got to preach. And I'm like sitting in the back of the room going, oh my gosh, if they call on me to preach, I'm going to die. I just, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't know why I'm here. I just, I'm supposed to be here, you know. Had I dated her, though, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't. You'd be sitting in 21 inches of snow in the middle of a cornfield. I don't say it to brag. I'm just saying that's the truth. That's just the fact as fact could be. This building wouldn't be here. This church wouldn't be here. Many of you wouldn't be saved. I was talking to uh, some of you just even last week. Some of you here in this room came to our luminary hike just a year ago. A year ago. And you've gotten saved, and now you've been coming to church, and you've been participating, and you've been growing your Christian walk. Well, well, you wouldn't have gone to the luminary hike. Why? Because there wouldn't have been a luminary hike had I not submitted to pastoral authority in my life when I was a 20-year-old, super smart, better than anybody else in the whole world kid that thought I knew everything in the whole world. Why? Because I had to wait on God's timing, not getting in front of it, not getting in behind it, not doing it my way, but saying, God, I want your clock. I want to do it when it's right. You know, I know a lot of young couples, they'll, they'll end up sleeping together. Why? Because, because you think, well, God's clock, you know, doesn't work. My clock's working, I'll tell you that, but God's clock's not working, you know. And you look back, you hurt yourself, you have regret, you've lacked patience. Church, we just got to trust God in his timing. To do his things his way. And that doesn't mean we're dumb. It doesn't mean we're stupid. It doesn't mean we're a floor mat. It means God, we're, we're seeking. We're actively seeking. God, what do you want for my life? And if someone sitting next to you, someone that loves you, someone that cares for you says, man, I don't know. I think you should take a left turn here instead of a right turn. Would you take it from God. Dear God, thank you. Would you keep working in my life? Would you show me? Would you help me? God, would you give me a purpose? Would you give me a plan? I, I, I don't want to look back with regret. Uh, church, just be honest. Had I married that other girl, we'd have never known what it would have been like to be here in Wisconsin, right? I mean, just never. Never known what it would have been like to have a church. You know, like I said before, a lot of you would still be stuck in your addictions. A lot of you wouldn't have gone to an addiction recovery program. A lot of you wouldn't be clean and sober. Why? Because there wasn't a church here that you needed at that time. So we've got to stop and we've got to, we've got to pause about that and say, you know what? I've got to look at God's timing i got to remember what, what God's plan is for my life. 
So, so just the, the, the rest of this chapter, Jesus goes on and he speaks to the Greeks, he speaks to the religious rulers, and he says, listen, this is what it is. He gives the gospel really kind of for the last time of his public ministry, and, 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 and look at verse 37, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Yeah, many did believe, but many didn't believe. Many did believe, but many just said, no, no, I'm not going to believe on you. And he spends all this time in the gospel. You know what's encouraging to me about that? It's encouraging to me because of why. Because I hand out an awful lot of tracts, and not an awful lot of people read it. And not an awful lot of people become saved, and not an awful lot of people come to church. Right? You do that, you do that, you do that, and people don't. So listen, if they denied Jesus, if they, if they rejected what he was doing, if they didn't read the gospel tract that he was giving to them, like raising someone from the dead, then who do we think we are? I mean, you know, we, well, we still keep doing it. We still keep doing the right thing. We still keep giving the gospel over and over and over again. We give the gospel because, you know what, there's people that want to hear it. Sometimes it takes years for people to hear it over and over again before it finally clicks and it finally wakes people up to the fact that they are absolutely positively in need of a Savior. Church, listen, this year, let's not be shy in handing out the gospel. Let's not be shy in sharing the gospel. Can you think of someone right now that you need to share the gospel with? Is there a neighbor? Is there a coworker? You know, we haven't talked about that wall for a couple of weeks. I encourage you to write a name of someone on the wall that you could invite out to church. Grab a marker, grab a pen, and just put a first name only of someone that needs to hear about Jesus. Someone that you can invite to church. And then every Sunday morning at 9.45, we get together and we pray for those people. Why? Because they need to hear it too. And, and, and God uses prayer and God answers prayer. Church, do you believe God answers prayer? I do. I believe God answers prayer. And I believe we've got to focus on it sometimes and say, you know what? I need to spend more time praying and less time worrying about it. But just praying, God, would you bring my neighbor to church? And you pray for them by name. Next Sunday would be a really good Sunday to bring people out to church. Okay? We're going to have a baptism service. We're going to have some parents uh, dedicate themselves to raising their, ch uh, their children. And, and I'm going to go over the gospel really clearly. Listen, uh, when we talk about baptism, I'm very clear on the gospel. Why? Because we have a lot of friends in this community that believe that baptism is, is necessary to go to heaven. And I make it really clear what the Bible says about it. And there's a lot of people that say infants have got to be baptized. And I show them clearly in the Bible where it, does, it doesn't say infants are baptized. So we've got we to talk about that, and next week would be a really good Sunday for you to invite one of those people out to this church. So why don't you do it? Why don't I do it? Let's make it an effort, and let's do it this week. The gospel is so simple. John three sixteen. God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but has everlasting life. It's interesting, Jesus said this, and he said it to a guy named Nicodemus, who was embarrassed and afraid that anyone would see him. He met with Jesus secretly, and all that Jesus said to him is, whosoever believes. He doesn't say whosoever gets in front of public and confesses it, whosoever stops doing drugs. He doesn't say that. He says, whoever believes that I'm the Messiah, that I died on the cross, I paid for your sins, that person has everlasting life. Okay? That is the gospel, the good news of the gospel. If you've never trusted that, I encourage you today to do that now. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for our study in the Word today. Lord, we thank you for your timing. Thank you for being so precise with your timing. You haven't forgotten about us. Sometimes it's easy, especially when we're younger, to be in a rush. I don't want to get ahead of you. I also don't want to be behind you. I want to be right beside you. 
Guide us, direct us, Lord. Show us your timing and your way. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior, that today would accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross and paid their sin. In your name we pray. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.